three, two, one. Jonathan Van Ness, also known as JVN. Jonathan is a hairstylist, a personality, an author, writer, comedian, an overall entertainer. You may know Jonathan from Netflix's Queer Eye or Jonathan's podcast and Netflix show, Getting Curious. And that's actually how we met. Jonathan so graciously had me on Getting Curious when I was working on my investigative series, Sold in America, Inside Our Nation's Sex Trade. And it was one of my favorite conversations that I had around my findings and reflections of that investigation. And we really hit it off. I remember at the interview, my mom was there, my sisters were there, and we were all just like really enveloped by the curious questions that Jonathan asked. And shortly after, we found out about each other's mutual love for gymnastics and ice skating. Jonathan so graciously would invite me to their weekly practices. And so I got to channel little Noor and her love for gymnastics and ice skating again. And it was such an amazing little morning tradition that we had right up until the pandemic. So this reunion of this conversation is the first time we're seeing each other since the pandemic. We're reuniting here at the Citizen M Hotel in Bowery in New York City, surrounded by floor-to-ceiling windows of the city. And it's a very cozy afternoon, and we're just so excited and have missed each other very, very much. So this conversation is really, like, friendship-focused. It's a conversation that we would have on FaceTime or in person, but instead we're having it on the podcast. And I really felt strongly about the informality around this interview specifically because there is a really big topic on my heart for the conversation. And Jonathan is the person I want to talk to about this. And what I'm, in Jonathan's words, getting curious about for this conversation is hair and what the big deal is around hair. I, myself, am reconnecting to my own hair, trying to build a relationship with this part of me that I feel like I haven't felt connected to for many, many, many years. And Jonathan is the person I want to talk to because Jonathan also has recently founded JVN Hair, which is an incredible hair care line. It's actually all I use right now. And it's just amazing because I feel like just by using the shampoo and conditioner, I barely have to do anything to my hair. And it just feels like it was just done. It's just so great. I love it so much. But Jonathan has worked with hair intimately. And so to Jonathan, hair is a form of self-expression. There are so many stories about hair and the history around hair and why people have such big feelings about it. And so I want to dig into all of that with Jonathan in this reunion all of these years later. And so without any further ado, welcome to this episode of Podcast Nur and exploring what the big deal around hair is. I mean, this podcast is to be of service to you first and foremost, but um, okay, not only, it's funny that you are mentioning getting curious. I'm beside myself because I just want to say I miss you so much. I miss you so much too. And literally, I think like the day of lockdown in 2020, we were still ice skating and like tumbling and doing gymnastics together. And I was telling Sada and Adam earlier, like there was something in me during that time where I was just so grateful that you were, you didn't even realize what you were doing, but you were giving me like a space and permission to do gymnastics and to ice skate, which were things that I loved doing as a child so much. But then I stopped on my own once I started covering my hair and you were like, wait, what? Like you can continue doing this. You can still do this. And so that was like, really where I feel like our friendship started to flourish and I and you felt like a home to me in that way and then the pandemic hit and it's like we just need a clip yeah we just just a clip to keep it on there honey and then we can go upside down and or fall or whatever I know I know and we and you taught me so much during that time and I was so grateful for it and I was telling them like we had never sat down for like a personal podcast conversation. And I think maybe subconsciously I was like, I really wanted to just cherish like the friendship that we were having, but I knew that the conversation was going to happen when it was meant to. And I didn't really know what it was going to be about. 
And I have been thinking about this conversation for the last couple of weeks because I I wanted to kind of flip the the script. So when we first started, when before we started recording this podcast, you had mentioned getting curious. And it's funny because earlier I was telling my team, I I want to honored by you and honoring you, I want to approach this episode similar to a getting curious episode. And what I am currently getting curious about is hair. Mm. And I have been on my own really big um, hair journey. And just after I did my rep investigation and I have begun like really rethinking my own personal stories and my own identity labels and what all of these things really mean and what is it that I really believe in all of these things. um, I've been thinking a lot about my choice to cover, to not cover my hair. And, um, and in all of that, I realized I'm turning 30 years old this year and I started covering my hair when I was 15. So it's been half your life, literally half of my life. So I'm like, this is a time I feel like a half of your life moment is like a good time to, to rethink and to ask, ask questions again and to make sure, is this something that I'm doing? Because I really like feel like this aligns with me or um, is it something that I want to rethink? And in all of that, I realized that I find myself asking like, well, what's the big deal about hair anyway? What's all the noise about hair anyway? Why is it, why are people dying over this? And, um, and I think like in the last 15 years, because before I started covering my hair, I would spend like two hours in the morning doing my hair. And I had a relationship with it, but I think the relationship that I had with my hair as a 14-year-old child was one of like how people were going to see me, what what it would look like in front of other people, or if they were going to like it, or if they were going to like me. And it was less about me because especially at that time, you're so impressionable to beauty standards. So like a huge part of my hair routine was always like straightening my hair. That was all, that was naturally wavy or curlier. And I wanted to look like the girls at school who were typically blonde and had super straight hair. And now as I'm rethinking it, I'm, I've been really grateful for the fact that the last 15 years, like it's almost, I just haven't internalized any, um, of like the pressure around like achieving a beauty standard or focusing on my hair for other people. Like I, it just hasn't been on my radar, but in covering my hair from the public, I think I also was covering my hair from myself and I wasn't really thinking about it. And in so many ways that's been really like healthy and great for me. And also now as like approaching 30, I, I have been wanting to actually establish a relationship with this part of my body that I have never really talked to or engaged with or really felt. And I'm going to pause there because there's so much more I could say, but I really felt like I just wanted to share what was deeply on my heart. And so when I thought about who I wanted to talk to about this, like you were the only one. And I mean, besides the fact that like, Adam and I only use JVN hair and we're actually obsessed. And it's it truly is like so thoughtfully crafted and, and you and your team are doing such important work with that. And also I know that I like I loved the episode of Getting Curious on Netflix where you talked about hair and, and like the history of it and why it's been such a big thing. But I think maybe a good starting point is I usually start with the question, how is your heart? But because hair is so important to you, maybe I can ask you, how is your hair? That's such a good question. Yeah. Um, Because also, like, hair is so much more than hair. Like, it is your heart. It's, like, it's really, like, self-expression. And also, like, I know that I don't know you the best of, like, anyone in the world. But I will say when you were talking about that, when you got to the part when you were, like, I've been rethinking a lot about your relation. Or, like, when you said, I've been thinking a lot about my relationship to hair. There was, like, a moment when you got really quiet and you got this look in your eye that literally looked like you were, like, looking over the edge of a cliff. Like, it was, like, the same look that I feel like I have when I'm, like, looking into something. I'm, like, angst. Like, I don't like heights. Like, I'm nervous about a height. Like, don't love them. Planes are fine, but not, like, a stair height. But it was, like, you were giving me, like, looking into the abyss. And I could literally feel, like, the level of, like, this is, like, a turning. And also, like, 30, mommy. Like, uh, not to be, like, baby, but dirty. That's really cute. You're you're so wise beyond your years. Um, But yeah, like hair is your heart. It's self-expression. It's also like 
I don't know if you've ever heard that thing about like how like our psyches are formed from like zero to seven. Like you're mm. like when you're a baby, like, mm-hmm. and so when like your hair and your relationship to your hair and how people receive you because of your hair, like all of that is like ingrained from such an early age, like how you start to see yourself and the experiences that you have. And then when you were saying like my 14 year old self, like I remember the first time my mom, like I like had to put a full court press on to let her get me highlights. It was in a small mall in Florida <laughs> and I like got these highlights on vacation. And like, I was like so excited to go to school. Cause like, Oh my God, are people going to notice? Like I really want compliments, which in like, when I look back, it's like, I want a validation yeah. in any way that I could get it. Yeah. And if my hair was the Avenue or like whatever, like I just wanted the validation. So yeah, like um, the hair is thriving. My heart is stressed kind of, um, but my hair isn't really as stressed, which is fierce, but it is still connected. But um, <laughs> so I don't really know exactly how to answer the question, but other than to say that, like, I'm loving your exploration. I got to interview um, Moj Madeira and Nicolette Mason yeah, yeah. about it. And like, oh my God, yeah. like just, and talk about like duality. Like sometimes I feel, and I don't even know if this is duality, but sometimes I feel so overwhelmed by like the attack on like trans people, women, non-binary, just like just all of the repression and patriarchy. And like here, it's like when I was reading in the news about what was going on in Iran and happening to, to Iranian women, like, yeah, like the overwhelm and like the, like how, like, what am I going to do? Like, like, but then I should also be really transparent in that, like my own exploration skyrocketed or really broke open, um, in this most recent Iranian revolution. And that's what I was kind of wondering. Yeah. It, I mean, I think for me, it was the concept of like a badged and armed morality police really, uh, unleashed something in me that like I spent days crying and wailing up in our cabin and I couldn't, I had to like really understand where this pain was coming from. And it was because, I was very familiar with the morality police from like all ends. Like I think that ever since I started um, covering my hair, like people, I was, it was always under scrutiny. It was always under like, you're not doing this well enough. Why are you doing this to begin with? Whatever it it was, it just, it was always um, talked about. And it's wild that this like very personal decision has just always been political and publicized. And it's funny because my brother just sent this like article in our group chat and I had read this article. It was written about my family exactly 20 years ago. And I read the article for the first time. Um, it was written when I was nine years old um, by the Department of Homeland Security. Oh, my God. Yeah. And in the article, there's an actual question that mentions me and my sister's name. And it says, like, will they wear the hijab? And this, like, article was on the Department of Homeland Security's website. That's where I found it. It really, like, activated something in me because I was, like, even when I was a child, even when I was nine and my sister was five, people were still, like, our own, like, our own American government is amplifying this, like, question on these children who, like, it was never your right to ask that question. And so it's just like, so, so we've seen this, like, morality police, we've seen it all. And it's, it's really hard to... Uh, really like, I'm still processing it obviously. And it's really difficult because like my experience covering my hair has been so powerful and so, so positive and so comforting. And it's felt so carried because it was something I actually never thought I was going to do. And um, so it's like, on one hand, this, this like scarf has been a companion and a friend to me for so long. And on another hand, I'm also trying to do this work of like, who am I outside of this? And and that and that's why it kind of transcends like just this piece of fabric. It's who am I outside of like all of like these labels and these things that like we don't realize that we get to rethink that that that's also a part of life is like re-evaluating like the questions that we we've asked our entire lives. And so I'm grateful that, you know, there are I mean, I'm grateful and I'm I admire the revolution that's happening in Iran and also in places like France and India where people are fighting to choose to to have the right to choose to be able to cover their hair. Cause to me, it's all about, it always, it's always been about choice. It's just always been about choice. That's the thing. And so I have to also like unpack in myself, well, if it is about choice and maybe I feel like right now, like, I don't know if I want to continue covering my hair, like 
do I really feel like I have a choice or is the morality police on the internet or around me in, in person? Like, are they going to get in the way? Which I would be lying if I said no, because I, I already feel it. I already see it. Like I already see how people talk about like if they see me showing hair or whatever it is. And so it's, it, it is really challenging. And it's funny because, um, the week that their most recent Iranian revolution happened, I ended up going on this, uh, five day yoga retreat and it was like right after I finished rep. So I like just needed a break to kind of recalibrate but it was literally like the day after I had posted this video about Mahsa Amini and about the morality police and about asking people like, what is the role that you are playing in this problem? Because we don't really ask ourselves that. And that week I had like this woman that I had met at the retreat who like told me she had cut hair in high school. I was like, I, I think I like, I want you to cut my hair off. Like I just wanted it all off. And I didn't understand like why I was doing that. I felt like I was trying to tap into like I had this like very big, like wild woman breakthrough of like wild in the most nature sense of the word of like being a woman of nature of like really trying to tap into that. And even as I was doing that, I didn't realize that I was also doing it because of like this weight that I felt like I was feeling on the heels of like witnessing the women who were who were also cutting off their hair, who were also fighting for choice and stuff. I was just doing this for myself because it's what I, I, I was just following my intuition, but yeah, it's really been since then. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't know how you could like have that not like lead you. Like, it's just, I mean, obviously I'm like, when you said like, it's about choice, like it's always about, it's like always been about choice. Yes. It's always been about like, I just, say it louder for the people in the back. Like we should have like our ability to, whether it you're like how you want to practice your faith, how you want to express your gender, how you want to control your reproductive future. Um, Yes. Like we should absolutely like have our ability to like self-determine. And I think that when you look at like what's happening in Iran or in the United States or like the common theme for me is like patriarchy, like, (laughs) you know, and then I also was thinking like, one thing that came up for me that I'm like, that since we, well, actually this was before, but like the older I get, the more I'm like, oh, like binaries are like our kind of enemy, like all the time, like not only in gender, but like, you know, if you cover your hair, then X, if you don't cover your hair, then X, like those are all like, yeah, they're, they're just like so black and white. Like yeah. there is such a spectrum to like everything that happens. I think even what is like, there's a spectrum to even like right and wrong. Like there's some things that are like always wrong, physical harm, like yeah. sexual abuse, like, um, but then there's some times where like even what's right and wrong is a little bit more like not so black and white. Yeah. Like the whole, like it takes two to tango. Like there's nuance, there's yeah. levels to this. Like, so sometimes it's black and white, but then other times it's not black and white. Yeah. And it depends on like who you are and where you're from and like, you know, like how you see yourself in, in the world and like, kind of all of your experiences of experiences that have led you to this point. So however we can like take a little bit of that, like the edge off this fastball, like we're literally killing people for the like choices they make that while in the duality sense, they really, really matter. But like, they also like don't really matter to you. Like as far as like, if you take these trans laws that are happening or like these trans laws that are like being debated all across the country, like people are so fired up about making these absolute rules uh, that actually don't affect them. Like, cause they're like, well, I did the X, Y, Z, or I want to protect children or I want to, but it's like, if a kid wears a dress or if a kid goes to a therapist, like, does it affect you? Yeah. Like, no. Um, if someone wants to cover their hair or not, like, does it, it's, it's really like this, the idea of what these acts do in society. Yeah. Like transness is seen as a huge threat. Women self-determining in Iran is seen as a huge threat to, in what, in what it shares in common, like the patriarchy or like the yeah. ruling party. Yeah. Like in, and it's just so silly because if you, well, it's not silly because people are dying and it's like literally affecting people's lives. So in that sense, it's not silly. But then on the other hand, what is silly is that like, if you just let people be themselves, like the fabric of society is not going to like crumble. Like people said when schools were going to become integrated, that this, the fabric of society would crumble when people like when, or when like interracial marriage became legalized, people said like the fabric of society would crumble when like, like people have always said that yet time carries on and yet things people still grow, like things still happen, like the sun still comes up. So like, it just feels like there's this like, 
you know, things are treated as these like absolute threats. And really like the truth is like a lot more nuanced and like less black and white than I think we all are willing to believe. Well, when was the first time you ever felt properly represented in media? Properly represented? I still don't feel properly represented. What are you talking about? Really? Yeah. Hey, I'm Noor Tagori, and I've been telling stories my entire life. I've spent the last few years examining a more personal narrative about how the misrepresentation of Muslims in media has impacted American society. I thought I knew the story because I thought I knew my story. But the more I looked for answers, the more questions I had. So I experimented. I examined one of the most traumatic tragedies in my family's history, a news event that dominated American airwaves in April 1986. During the journey, something extraordinary happened. The stories I thought I knew intimately were still alive. I learned that controlling a narrative instead of being curious about it is exactly the dynamic I was examining to begin with. What I found was a fuller exploration of the ever-evolving story of America. I always felt like America stole me from myself. I've always felt like that's what America does, is it steals people from themselves and it replaces themselves with a myth. How do we get to the point where you are okay sitting next to, sitting with a story that is not your own just because? My intention with Rep is to challenge the concept of the value of representation. Our guides include experts, academics, artists, actors, names you already know. And in our conversations, we bounce around through American history and culture and witness our present and future unfold. And then find out how these stories affect us all. This podcast examines our culture through the lens of three Ps, politics, pop culture, and public opinion. Listen to Rep on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. What is the big deal about the dead cells that lay on top of our scalp? Well, a lot of it relates to gender. Yeah. I think. One thing that I've learned a lot in the um, podcast is like, so obviously like we know Darwin, right? Yeah. Like survival of the fittest. He like did like the whole genus, species, evolution, like that's Darwin. And so that was in the late 1700s, right? He had this first cousin named Francis Galton that we're always talking about on the podcast. Like all fucking roads lead back to Francis Galton. That's mm -hmm. what I'm learning. He invented eugenics. Mm-hmm. So eugenics is like essentially what the Nazis used in the final solution. Um, so prior to World War II, you literally had magazines in America that were like eugenics weekly. It would be like, who is the prettiest Southern belle? Like who is the best? Like, so there's positive eugenics, which is like good families breeding with good families. Then there's negative eugenics, which is like, you know, we shouldn't be letting like single parents. We shouldn't be letting like women who've had like 10 kids with eight different people. Like they should have forced sterilization. Like that is a, like that would be an right. idea of like negative eugenics or, um, you know, forced sterilizations were like a huge aspect of negative eugenics. And we even had like state sanctioned forced sterilizations, like all through the history of America. And it wasn't until like the 19, actually forced sterilizations were happening on native American people. I believe up like through like the seventies, like there was a lot of forced sterilization of like black women, native American people. And also even, even there was like Bell v. the United States, like literally saw the Supreme court say like, Oh yeah, like you should do forced sterilization because you had one, this woman was in the insane asylum. Like she was committed to the insane asylum because her mom was committed to the insane asylum. And then they wanted to take her newborn baby and put her in the insane. Cause they were like three feeble. The quote was like three generations of feeble minded people is enough. Whoa. From the United States Supreme court. Like, so they sided with the state and like these forced sterilizations. So 
all of this came from the pseudoscience of eugenics that was invented from this guy, Francis Galton. And where that came from was like, so in the 1600s and 1700s, if you look at the writings, like these European explorers would go to Africa, they'd go to Senegal and they'd say like, these women are beautiful. Like they had these beautiful breasts. They had these beautiful curves. They would, they, the way that they would speak about Native Americans, it was more positive. It wasn't as it wasn't as like vilifying in earlier writings in European explorers. Then as you get in the 1700s, then it's like these Native Americans are letting the women hunt. The men wear skirts. Uh, the Aboriginal people in Australia, like they wear skirts. The women have their breasts out, like they're uncivilized. So they were saying that Europeans were the height of civilization and that they were evolving towards a more civilized place. And then they were saying that women were more evolved to childbear. They were saying that white women were more reared to childbearing. Uh, they're not meant to use their brains. Men should be using their brains. Men should be making money. Women don't have the same strength that men have. So they need to like, just there are reproducers. So we need to like, take it easy on them. Obviously this isn't true. This is like what you yeah, know he was yeah. saying. So then they started to say that like, Oh, actually we're saving these poor souls from Australia and Native America and like Papua New Guinea and all these places because they're going to burn in the fiery pits of hell because Jesus. Mm -hmm. So we've got to save all of them and we've got to civilize all of them because they are not civilized. They're evolving towards the worst. Like we want to evolve. So it was always through this guise of like saving people, helping people, you know, uh, Christianizing people because they didn't want to like burn in the pits. Like it's, that's the story that we're telling ourselves. Like, yeah. so, but Francis Galton was like, into integral in this idea that like civilization was Anglo, it was Western European, it was United Kingdom, it was Europe and everything else was like, you know, we needed to save them to make sure that they were civilizing and use eugenics towards that end to get rid of people that were not seen as civilized. So this Francis Galton was like fucking scary pseudoscience. I mean, they were like measuring people's heads. Like it was all that same like Nazi stuff that like that guy was like measuring people's, they were using all of this pseudoscience to differentiate, to use racialized differentiations in biology to like separate people. Yeah. And so, and it's same thing with queerness. Like queerness wasn't seen as this, like, I mean, it existed. People kind of would talk, like it, it was like this, it was like a known thing, but it wasn't necessarily so negatively seen until Francis Galton came along and said, oh, they're like really on the fringes of society, like they're going to like evolve us off a cliff. Like they're really bad. So it was around this time, the turn of the 18th century, like coming into the 18th century, that queerness and transness became really bad. And women, and, and, and it builds to a fever pitch, like up into the turn of the 20th century, like the early 1900s. That's when you start to have people say like, oh, like, you know, uh, lady men and, you know, girly men, like they have like even different uh, heights and different, which is obviously all fake. It's all cherry picked data to support these like, really transphobic and homophobic yeah. and like anti-women positions. But a lot of the history around like, when did hair become such a big deal? Why should women have long hair? Why should men have yeah. short hair? Yeah. That really happens in like the 1800s, like the the long 19th century, which would be like, you know, 1780 to like 1920. That's what I've learned like from our historians, like on getting curious about like, when did homophobia, when did anti-womanness, when did these gender roles become yeah. so intensified? And the relationship between gender roles and hair is really big and that becomes much more solidified in the 1800s because prior to that you had like a lot of cultural um uh diversity you know the egyptians were really there like doing their thing like the native americans really had their own like every different culture had like their own way of doing things but the gospel of eugenics so to speak and that gospel of like colonization which is colonization that's what really started to spread like this idea of um, you know, what hair means, what purity means, what femininity means, what masculinity means that all really happens then. Whoa. Thank you for the history lesson. Yeah. Um, wow. That's a lot to is a lot process, but it's, that's the thing too. It's just like, but, bef but prior to that, did hair always have a cultural significance and was hair, was hair ever as personal was hair ever personal or was it always like, was there always a factor of it being something for consumption? Not like you're consuming hair or whatever, but like something to be talked about, something to be analyzed, something, something that represented something bigger than the self. I mean, I, I can't, I think from how I understand, like, I'm like fascinated by like Egyptian hair and like Egyptology. We like got to do a little segment on getting on the Netflix yeah, version of that. that. But 
But I mean, they were like braiding hair, they were coloring hair, they were cutting hair, they were um, using hair to denote like places in society and like what that. So even back in Egyptian times, we were talking about like wanting to, you know, beautify the hair, wanting to use the hair as like self-expression and to express like where one would be in society. And I think in Native American cultures, you see a lot of symbolism in hair. In all cultures, you see, I think it is largely how it is now, but the roles of like gender and like why it's such a quote, like big deal from like a I'll fucking kill you sort of way. Like you can't exist in this way. That comes more in like patriarchy and the solidification of gender roles, like in, you know, the last like 300 years, I feel like in, but maybe it wasn't the the 1500s and this 1400s and like prior, but I do think that um, there have been, eras in the world in history where hair was not linked to the same ideas of masculinity and femininity Mm. and like how important it was like to self-express in those ways, especially when we look at like Native American cultures and, you know, why hair was kept very long or, um, you know, like the spiritual connection, you know, there of hair, which is like really beautiful. Yeah. Hair represents time. And that's also like what I think is so fascinating about by it and like the traditions where people um, do end up like growing their hair out or locking their hair or having like, or braiding it or having these like different representations. It's like there is, it it literally, it it is carrying our stories in its, in, in the DNA itself. So, and I'm curious too, like the role of hairstylists and how you often joked that like, you sometimes would double as like a therapist to the, to the people. Cause you're especially on queer eye when you're like giving people these like new transformations and you know, we can say, yeah, it's to, you're changing the hair or whatever. You're giving people new so that they can feel good about themselves. What does that really mean? Like what, what is it? What is it that we're really like, what does how does hair play a role in our bigger story of who we are in this moment? Um, well, it's like, it's so hard to like pinpoint that answer. Cause it's like so layered. Yeah. Like part of it is like action driven where you are like, I want to take a risk. I want to try something different. I want to see, or like, I just want to do something different. That's scary. It's taking a risk. You have to seek someone out. You have to save your money. You have, so there's Mm. a lot of like confidence building and like identifying something you want, finding a person, asking for help because you got to find someone that can do the Mm. thing. Mm -hmm. So there's, it's really vulnerable because you're like, you're building confidence. You're taking a chance and whether or not you end up liking the outcome, like you're literally taking a risk. So you're learning like, what do I like? What do I not like? How do I like to feel? How do I not? So so there's the action taking. Yeah. Then like if you like how the hair turns out or you don't, like that brings up its whole other like list of um, relationship building exercises that you're going to have with yourself. Like if you really like the hair, like are you just like, like all that, you know, or like if you hate it, you're like, oh my God, like I, you know, like that can, like if you've ever like seen someone who like did something to their hair that they fucking hated and they like can't stop talking about it. It's like, just like something that's like, yeah. so that brings up it's, so I think that's, is it, is it the things that led up to it? Or was it that you actually, when you looked in the hair, the mirror, you're like, oh my God, I love how this turned out. This makes me feel like when I have my hair, um, you know, certain ways, it makes me feel certain ways, like more, maybe a little more chic, maybe a little bit more like, um, natural, maybe more. And like, and what do those feelings elicit? But that's also like different for everybody. Mm -hmm. Like what is chic to somebody is not chic to somebody else. Mm -hmm. So it's such a like highly individual thing. And hair is such a facet of like self-expression. And sometimes people have just become totally numb to that. Like they're Mm -hmm. like, they're like, Mm, it's just like this thing I do. Like, I don't really see it as self-expression. I don't really see it as like, it's just like this thing I got to deal with. Yeah. Or they became really frustrated by it a long time ago for whatever reason. Cause right. when they were saving up the money or they had a hairdresser that didn't get it, or they had a parent that was really critical or a friend, like maybe when they tried their highlights, they went to school and everybody made fun of them. And then they were like, I don't ever want to try it again. Yeah. Like, I, like, so we all have like such, or maybe you had a really good reaction to a hair change. So you're more adventurous, but like all that stuff happens when you're like little, mm. like it's like from your, or your first experiences with, like self-expression through hair, like, and everyone has like, and and all of those are also linked to like 
those are also racialized. They're genderified. They're um, there's like a there's a socioeconomic thing there too because if you don't have money, if you don't have the resources, if you're in a geographical space that doesn't know how to do your hair, like hair can be a source of joy and self ex- and self exploration and self expression. It could also be a source of frustration and negativity and something you don't want to play with and you don't want to look at. Mm-hmm. And usually, like that happens from like your formative experiences like with hair, which is why for some people hair is a huge deal and for other people, not that big of a deal because it really does depend on like how your individual experience was, Yeah, which actually leads into this like other thing that I've been thinking a lot about, which is like the relationship between like individuals and systems. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Yes. Tell me. Well, cause like, you know, a lot of times if someone says like, anti-trans bills and anti-queer and anti-drag bills are like really on my heart, obviously. Yeah. Cause it's like and today is trans visibility d- yeah, day. Yeah. Trans visibility. Yes. Queen. Um, but like, like sometimes we'll think of like, someone will say like, Oh, you know, like I don't think that gender, uh, affirming care should be available to anyone. Um, until they're fully adults, because when you're younger, you don't have, uh, this, you know, your whatever, like whatever their reasons will be. It's like your frontal cortex or like kids can't do this and that. So why would you let, so, but that's taking a whole system, right? Like, which is like healthcare, gender, self-expression. And you're taking your individual idea of this entire system in which you actually don't know anything because gender affirming care can be your kid wearing the clothes they want. It can be a therapist. It's not always medical. It's not always surgical. It's not always pharmaceutical. It can literally be your kid wearing the clothes they want. It can literally be letting your kid play on the team. Like it's, it's a whole host of things. It can be using preferred pronouns. Like it's not always medical. It's not always surgical, but what the right's done is they've convinced everyone that like three-year-olds are going in and getting history and fucking boob jobs with their parents not knowing. Yeah. Like that's what like on Fox News and like people are like, oh my God, these kids are making irreversible. So that's how we conflate an individual with a system. Mm. And that happens, that happens in Black Lives Matter. It happens with police brutality. It happens in anti-trans bills. It happens in abortion. Why is someone so pro-life? A lot of times when, especially women, turn out to be super pro-life is they take their individual experience, which is I regretted it forever. I, if they had a bad experience with, I, I felt convicted by Jesus, whatever. They're, they were like, I will never let another person make the mistake. So they're taking their individual experience and they are trying to infuse their individual experience into an entire system, which is what you have like these Christian politicians that are like, well, I don't want you to burn in the pit, uh, whatever it is. Like it's always kind of motivated by like their individual experience Mm -hmm. and trying to impart that on a system. And what we were saying before is that like, it's always been about choice. Yes. And I think that we shouldn't have like, should you have the choice to like, you know, sexually abuse someone or like murder someone? No, we're not saying that. But we're saying that for as long as you're not imposing on people imposing or hurting, other, or and, and, hurting but then other I people. think their kind of argument would be, well, you're hurting kids because you're letting them make irreversible. De- no, they're not making irreversible decisions. Yeah. Like hormone blockers are in fact reversible. Mm. Hormone blockers are in fact prescribed to cisgender kids and intersex kids every day of the week, all day long. It's already happening. Yeah. Like if a little girl who's six, like experiences precocious puberty and starts to develop breasts early or like has an early period, her doctor very often will give her hormone blockers so that she does not start her pu- or start puberty and continue her periods until she's 12, 13 when other girls do it. That happens all the time. It also happens a lot in athletics. It happens a lot in gymnastics and figure skating, especially in other countries, but it also happens here where little girls will be given puberty blockers so they don't develop hips and breasts as much when they're in their athletic career. It will happen to little boys. If a little boy goes through precocious puberty and he starts, you know, his voice starts to lower, if he starts to get pubes and, you know, his like genitalia grows, they will often prescribe that little boy hormone blockers until the rest of his, the boys in his grade and, you know, his cohort start to go through those changes as well. Cause you know, they might not want him to stick out. He might like feel, you know, embarrassed or bullied because people are like, Oh, you're, you know, whatever developing early that happens all the time. And they're completely reversible. Um, what does tend to be a bigger issue is if someone is given hormone blockers and then hormone or puberty blockers and hormones of the, of their like desired gender expression too early, like that can sometimes have implications, but it's also really not happening. Like usually what happens is like they'll give a kid puberty blockers. If that kid is still like saying when they're, when they're 13, 14, 15, 16, like I am a woman, I do not want, you know, or I'm a man, like whatever their gender expression is at that point, they will like subside the hormone blockers and then give them 
or puberty blockers, and then they will give them hormones for their gender expression. Right. But that's not happening when kids are like six and yeah. seven. They just give them puberty blockers. Um, and same thing with like gender reassignment surgeries. They are not happening on children. Like my cousin is a surgeon at a hospital that does did gender affirming care. It's been outlawed in that state now. Um, but the youngest top surgery they ever did on someone was 16. And this uh, man had been living life as a boy and a man since they were three. And the hormone blockers were like, like even through hormone blockers, like their breasts developed and they had extreme gender dysphoria. And that top surgery 100% saved their life. Yeah. That kid's like 24 now, like, you know, and like one, I think 1.7% of people treat detransition. So that means like 98% of people don't detransition, but 95% of the stories that you hear are about detransitioning. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it's not, it's not reflective of the reality of trans people, but those, that negativity bias goes so much farther than like, oh, a lot of trans people are getting, you know, healthcare and it's working out really well and they're not really hurting anybody. Threats. And, you know, mishaps go way farther. It's like, if I fuck up your fringe, that goes on Yelp way more than if I do like a million great fringe trims. Yeah. That's why right. like negative stories tend to go farther. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the system's an individual thing, especially with like anti-trans laws uh, and just like systems. I think a lot of times we conflate individual, ex individual experiences on systems and that creates like so much wreckage and like so much carnage, like taking mm -hmm. away that choice mm -hmm. for people. Hi friends, a quick check-in. This show is a production of our storytelling company, At Your Service, also known as AYS. And AYS has a podcast channel. So if you're enjoying this conversation, I think you will also love our investigative podcast, Rep, a story about the stories we tell. We dig into truth, objectivity, and media representation in beautifully cinematic and powerful storytelling. We also have a show called The Process that shares some of the world's most fascinating people's personal process on things like making high-risk decisions like a CEO to dealing with grief. At AYS, we tell stories as a form of service. So if there are stories that you would like us to look into, you can send us your tips or ideas to hello at ays.media. As always, at your service. You just kind of shared language to like something that I've also just been thinking about, about a lot too, which is that the reason or the approach that I take with like fighting for choice in every regard is that like the, just in this moment of my life, it's to lead with love, lead in service and to never impose on others. And if we can just give, it's like, imagine the world that we would live in if we gave people the space to truly just be themselves. Like I want to get to know the truest version of you. And so like, how can I, how can I assist or how can I like be of service in creating that space for that expression to exist? And, and, and I mean, and that's also why, like, even if I feel nervous, like having these conversations or asking these questions or sharing these stories or going on this own exploration on my, with my own self, I also, I feel like so strongly that I need to start it with gratitude because like, I feel lucky that we get to have this conversation, that we get to like say these things out loud because not everywhere in the world can you do this. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, which I feel really grateful for. I would love to know what is a question that you've been asking yourself these days? It's like a lot around... Uh, like I live in Texas, yeah. so much stuff happening in Texas. Yeah. I kind of personally think that the future of queer rights is in the South um, because it's actually really interesting, but like the, the majority of queer people live in the South in America. Um, and there's so much, really? yeah. Like there's so much talk around like, Oh, well, why don't you just move? That's literally millions of people. Like the amount of queer people in Texas, in Georgia, in Florida, in Arizona, in New Mexico, in Tennessee, 
New Orleans or Louisiana, it's literally millions of people. And I think, you know, California, New York, not that the threat to queer liberation is over here, but the state legislatures are not systematically trying to erase the existence of trans people in the way that they are in the South. So I think like the future of queer liberation and the the future of um, the queer rights movement is in these spaces. It's in the spaces that, because if you look at where so much of the progress happened, it was in Stonewall, it was in California, it was in these like urban centers coastally, but at the time, the state legislatures and the federal government were coming for queer people, which is why so much of the progress mm-hmm. happened there because right. that's where the friction happened. Yeah. So now the friction is much more in Florida. We have don't say gay, don't say trans bills. All of those same bills are being debated in Texas right now. Um, and it's not just the South. I mean, like we have Iowa, Kentucky is in the South, but I mean, a lot of these bills are happening, like not just in the South, but there's just so many millions of people whose rights are being infringed upon and taken away uh, and suppressed in favor of a Christian Eurocentric, um, you know, Francis Galton approach to gender. And that's like, you know, really being enforced now on everyone. Is that part of why you decided to actually plant roots in Texas? That was more of just like, I realized that I was going to probably like tend towards like a nervous breakdown if I stayed in New York city or like LA, like just like, um, like I just, I went to Austin for queer eye and then it's so green and it's so calm and, like I, when I moved to New York, I was like, I never want to drive again. I've been in LA for nine years. And I was like, I love like public transport. And I love just like walking everywhere. Um, but then like, you know, like at 10 in the morning when you've taken like 75 selfies, like at 10 in the morning, you're just like, and you're compulsively late. Like I am, like, I just could not get anywhere. I couldn't get anything done. You're and, 10 minutes early to this. Uh, I did really good. Thank God. Um, <laughs> but like in Austin, it's just like, it's just more relaxed. Like people don't really expect to see me there. I can kind of like exist um, in a way that's like, I still see people and I still interact with people, but it's like, it's kind of nice being in your car. Cause you're like, not, you just like don't yeah. get stopped 50,000 times. And it's just like, uh, and that's the thing, like Texas is actually a really diverse, interesting, cool place. Like so many of the policies and the issues that you see coming out of Texas aren't really reflective of Texas and the diversity of Texas. Mm. But when you have voter suppression, and then also you have just a lot of like lack of motivation from Democratic voters, which is like a really other multi-pronged layered issue that is like a whole other podcast. But our voter turnout is like horrific in Texas and in Florida. Yeah. Um, But there's like a, but that also is not only because of turnout. It's also because of voter suppression, which is linked to racism, which is linked to like history. So it's like, it's not just to to say that there's like a lack of enthusiasm and that it's like all, you know, our fault because it's not like there's like there's layers to like why our turnout is bad. Yeah. But I do want to be a part of the solution. And that Mm -hmm. was part of why I was like, oh, like there, like I can do good work here. I can be part of a change here. I can be like a little bit. And also I can be like my nervous system in um, some like nature ways can be more relaxed. Mm-hmm. Like I can have chickens and five cats and three dogs in Austin that I could not do like in, you know, couldn't, couldn't do like in New York or LA. So it's, yeah, in some ways it's better for my nervous system. In other ways it's like more challenging. Cause like, yeah. you know, we're like actively being legislated against. And I see all these like young people who are like looking to me to like, like help me be a part of the solution. So it's, it's like, it's duality. It's like multi-pronged, but I do really like Austin. I didn't, it wasn't on my bingo card, but it ended up being on my bingo card. I love that journey for you. Yeah. It's it's weird. So what is the question that you're Uh, asking yourself? Oh yeah. What is it? Um, Oh, it's like, how can I be a part of the change in Texas? Mm. Like how can I, so specific. I love it. Yeah. Like how can I be a part of the change in Texas? And then how can that like radiate like into other parts of the country? Yeah. Can you tell me about your own relationship with your hair evolution and where you are now and how you're doing now on your insides? Yeah. Like um, how your insides matched your outsides all these years. uh, uh, uh. Just tell me about your own hair evolution from when you were a child, when you had that narrative, like when those narratives get embedded into our psyche to what your relationship is with it now. Yes. Really good question. So like a lot of my trans or like a lot of my like hair journey comes from like education. Yeah. I have really curly hair. I never knew how to style it growing up, like growing up, like if you look at any pictures of me, it's just like so much gel, like right in this part (laughs) of my hair and then like nowhere else. Um, I always wanted long hair, but never, that was like another gender thing. Like, like in college, I was a cheerleader. Boys couldn't have long hair on the cheer squad. Like there was always a reason why I had to cut my hair off. That's interesting. Um, I hated it. And so the second that I could grow my hair long, I did, which was in my early 20s. And so that always was something that I wanted. And it does, it just was like, part of it also came from the fact that I knew that like everyone in my family loses their hair. And I was like, I want to have long hair, like to experience it and like try it and like have long hair, like for fun. 
Um, and then I realized that I really loved it. And in my 20s, I had like hair like down to my elbows, like such long hair. Like, and then I've been having like a little bit more fun, like chopping it up, making it a little shorter, like just like I've been into like a chin to collarbone moment for the last few years, Love. like not wanting it so, so long. Um, but yeah, for me, I feel like when my hair wasn't fun, it's because I didn't know how to do it. Then I learned how to style hair. <laughs> then I was like, oh my God, this is so fun. So I feel like really when people don't think that their hair is fun or like when I didn't think my hair was fun, it's because like I had a lack of education, like a lack of like, I didn't know yeah. how to work it. Um, so I feel like, you know, knowing how to play with your hair, knowing how to style it. Yeah. And then also having the time to do so. Like I learned how to style other people's hair starting in 2005. And I don't think I really got good at doing my own hair until like, like 2010. Or like 11. Really? Yeah. Like it took me like six years to like figure out like, and that was like literally being in the salon, like all the time and styling other people's hair. But it's harder, like, you know, like if I could have like cut my head off and like done my hair on a, like, you know, in the chair, yeah. then yeah. But it's like harder, like figure out how to do the back and like how to style, like takes a while. And like, you're always evolving, like getting better. And I've gotten like better and better and better. I watched every single video on JVN hair Uh, YouTube page. Yeah. That's like. After one that's, sad, that's my whole years of like that's like my whole career Thank of you. like education. Like I know trying it's to figure so out how to get on there. Thorough, yes. And I also, you know, what's something like a sidebar that I'm like really frustrated with. Yeah, tell me. Like, just like Jared, our YouTube um, director, who I love so much. He's always like, "What's like a quick soundbite? Like, what if someone just like doesn't have a lot of time?" It's like you think this shit happens because like you had five seconds. Like no one that gets good at their hair got a one five second sound bite and then fucking figured it out. Yeah. Like, and I also think we need to stop selling ourselves short on like what our attention span is. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at my podcast, like I think you could, we shouldn't diagnose people from afar, but I think it's pretty safe to say I have a bitch in case of ADHD. <laughs> if my ass can stay and learn and go away from a subject and then come back to a subject, yeah. so can you. And the stories that we tell ourselves mm. become more ingrained in your brain the more that you say them. So this idea that, like, you know, the average American has a short attention span, that I really think came from lazy advertising execs that were like, fuck, I don't want to have to make something that's engaging for 45 seconds. So let's just say that they can't do it. That's not true. You think that people learn to be doctors and people learn to be experts because they have 15-second attention spans? No. Your hair is art. Mm. It's science. Mm. It's fucking hard. If it was easy, everyone would do it. But like, you are able to learn. You are able to gain new skills, just like you are in anything able to do. I feel like you're telling me this into my soul. But you know, it's just so true. Like, we are able to learn. We are able to change. You can, in fact, pay attention for more than 15 seconds. And I think that we need to start challenging ourselves to like, like, if easy fixes existed. Yeah. Why the fuck are we here right now? Yeah. Shit just keeps getting harder. So you do got to like sit down and slow down long enough. Like, cause if you want something, you gotta fucking take your goddamn time to learn about it. Yeah. Like, I really want to learn how to make jewelry right now. And then when I go out of, when I go to start, I'm like, I'm gonna have a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Cause it's fucking hard. Yeah. I, of course, I, I, can you tell me how to make great? Listen, how stupid this sounds. Tell me in 15 seconds, like how to make really great jewelry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So people say like, what's like one quick tip for G? I'm like, fuck off with these stupid questions. Yeah. Like, I. I ask more of yourself. Like, let's stop selling ourselves mm-hmm. short. Like, let's ask more of ourselves mm-hmm. as far as like what our capabilities are. Cause I actually do think that we have an ability to like understand and comprehend so much more mm-hmm. than what we've been sold. I've, I, I felt that in this entire conversation, I felt you speaking directly to me as like someone who's just been, you know, trying to figure out how to like, I'm like, I haven't really, I haven't done my hair in 15 years. I haven't really like done anything with it, which means it's incredibly healthy. So healthy. And also, um, like the other day when I was trying, I was like, I like cried and I was like, wait, which is, is so normal. Bad hair day. This is what that means. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Goes back to like JVN hair videos. And this is like kind of why I'm like bringing it back to this like full circle moment of like, but that's how the did systems. this thing that exactly that's how did this that thing up. that was so personal that's supposed to be so personal become so publicized and so politicized and like why is it so hard and and I this is really hard for me too because like for a lot of years I did talk about it I did talk yeah. about the hijab and I did talk about like representation in it and I and I still like believe in talking about representation and um and also like I want to give myself the space to be able to like figure out who I am outside of So you're going to have to remove yourself from that idea of the system. Yeah, that's the, this is like, it's, it's so hard. Because Nora's an, indiv- you as an individual, like you get to have that exploration and then 
I think as a public figure, we get, and I've been struggling with this a lot too, like you're always going to be something to somebody when you're in the public, either too much or not enough or yeah. not doing it right. Or you should be doing this. Like you should be doing something else with your platform. I really like what you're doing in your platform. Like yeah. someone's always going to come somewhere with it. And that's, do you feel that a lot? Oh, of course. And that's the system. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, how do your actions like impact a system? Mm -hmm. So do you want to be worried about that? And, or cause binaries again, it's not yeah. a black and white thing. But like maybe in the recently you've been like, maybe it's been more like 50, 50, like maybe there's yeah. like, like your 50%, like, you know, what do people think about me? How's this going to impact the system? And the other 50% is maybe like, what does this mean to me individually? Yeah. So maybe right now in this season in your life, it's more of like, you know what? I think I want to be 90% nor right now and 10% of that yeah. because, because you always need to be aware of both. Like I'm not going to go on. And my it's all true. Like that's the thing is like, and, it, and this is what's so hard about it too, is like, it's all like the truth. And it's all from this place of like deeply, truly caring yeah. about all of this. And I think that that's the thing that like the part of the system that we have to kind of just like sometimes put to the side because because of like social media and because of the internet, because of media in general and the way people are perceived and reduced to these like quote two dimensional figures and not full human beings who are going on this evolution. Like I, I it's funny because I posted a photo in like my beanie and my hair was out and uh, I, I got so much, it was just, it was not great, but um, I hate those. yeah, but, but there are a lot of people who like, who don't cover their hair and who are like messaging me and they're like, you know, it was, I'm saying this in the, the nice version of it, but basically it was like, um, I believe in choice and everything, but like, if you like have like built your career off of this, then like, you don't, basically you don't get a choice. And I was just like, but that like completely defeats the purpose because like all I've been saying all these years is that like, I, I've literally like in Paris on, on, a French television show where like it was, they had never had a woman Girl, wearing a hijab. They, I stand literally by was though, like, cause I already know what you're going to say, but like, this is a really important, like, this is really like, <sighs> you get to be who you are. You get to be who you are. You get to be who you are. You've gone into rural spaces in this country that were so fucking Islamophobic. And literally you're one of the bravest people I know. You're one of the bravest people that I know. And you have to give yourself, you have to give yourself some grace because you are a literal Muslim woman in the public eye who's maybe like one of like what, like five hijabi wearing women in the country who's like a super public facing figure. Like you can't really name like five other of you that are like where you are in your career. So the amount of pressure of your individual that's getting transposed on the system right now is so intense. And so like backing off a little bit, even on yourself, on like being on this exploration and being on this journey, like you need to be on that exploration, that journey, like not whatever. I almost, I almost like, you know what Alok told me once? And I have had my DMs off ever since. Like I turned the fuck off of my DMs. Like you don't get access to me like that. Cause it's too much like the feedback and the, and people who don't know your heart, people that don't know your whole story, there will be people in your Instagram that may see that picture that you posted. And like, they don't know that you went to fucking like Iowa and Texas and were speaking in schools. Like they don't know that you were in France, like fighting for women to be like mean, the Islamophobia in France. I mean, they passed a fucking law that says that like women cannot wear a niqab, cannot wear hijab, like cannot self-express. Like you haven't built, you you have not built your career off the hijab. You've built your career off of advocacy and being who you are and being of service. So even like having someone like take away like your narrative is like so like being able to recognize like what that is and then taking a little bit off of the fastball and then like creating some boundaries. You need some boundaries. Turn the DMs off. They can't have access, especially when you're in this like vulnerable journey of like deciding like how you want to like what you want to do. But it is kind of reminding me of like, I've been having this talk with myself too. Like I am an example of a non-binary trans person in the public eye. When there, when there is oppression happening against a community and you are one of those communities and you're also thriving and like, you'll be under more scrutiny. Like, like because of misogyny and because we're both femme, like you're like, there could be like a Muslim man or like a gay man that could say all the things that we say and have all the success that we have. <laughs> and they're not going to have any of the scrutiny. I know. Like they're allowed to do it. They're allowed to say it and they don't have to explain. And then that's actually why I cut you off because I was like, oh, you're explaining yourself and you don't have to explain <laughs> yourself. 
you don't, you do not have to explain yourself and the voice in you that says, oh, I need to explain like why I'm on this personal journey and like why I maybe want to wear it, maybe why I don't like, that's literally the patriarchy. That is you reacting to. Yeah. And that's all patriarchy that people learn when they were like little. So like giving them the compassion for like when they're judging you and stuff, not your business. What, and it's a lot easier said than done. Yeah. What people, but like I used to be addicted, like when we were figure skating and gymnastics all the time, I was going through such this phase of like, I used to name search myself on Twitter. Yeah, and I like, deleted Twitter. Like oh my God, I can't name search myself on Twitter. Like I can't read, like I can't be in these comments yeah. like that. I will cuss people out in my comments at least once a week. I don't know how Loke does that whole benevolent. Like this isn't, <laughs> like a Loke is like, can read someone with so much love and kindness. Mm-hmm. Have you ever read a Loke comments when no. someone will say like something horribly transphobic and then a Loke will be like, this is not about me. Like this is your own pain. And I want to like be like a loving cheerleader for you. Yeah. So like they're like- My mom so, does that for me. Whereas I will be like, <laughs> I want you to like rip out your inner. I am not benevolent to like trolls like that. Like it really like gets into my egoic pain place, which yeah. is like not good. But it's like, I got to not read these comments, honey. So you just got to keep on your path. And that's like give you like such hardcore advice. But like, no, thank I you. literally, this is like, cause it is like a thing. I've just seen like a level of like anxiety and pain in your eyes that I've never seen. Which tells me that your nervous system is taxed. It tells me that your window of tolerance, like, do you know what a window of tolerance is? Like, normally, you know, we live in our, like, if this is your bottom and this is your top, you know, normally you live in here. But because of, like, the persecution of women, Islamophobia, what's going on in Iran, the fact that you're a public-facing figure, like, you're probably not living in this part of your window of tolerance. You're probably, like, living, like, right here, like, right next to the top. So when something Mm -hmm. happens, you can, like, spike above your window of tolerance. And so it just feels, like, a lot more, like... And that, that's the pressure that I'm alluding to of like, if you could, like, it's hard to divorce yourself from everything that's going on in the world, yeah. but also like giving yourself enough, like, um, space to be your own human and like yeah. express your own humanity and your own journey. Cause maybe it's a, you want to not wear and then you want to put it, I don't know. I can't tell you what you want to be. But it's also like why I keep coming back to this thought of like maybe the radical thing to do also. I, when, when you're like talking about like, see, you're explaining yourself again, I I try to be conscious of that. And even then I didn't catch it. And what I keep coming back to is like, maybe the radical thing to do is to not feel like I have to explain this or to talk about it until I'm ready and I've processed it and I've gone through it. Because when I did first start covering my hair when I was 15, it was very like shortly after that, that like I kind of just got thrown into more of like this public space. And so, and that a lot of that carried me because there was, I was surrounded by so much positivity and support and stuff. And so it helped me cultivate this beautiful relationship that I have with the hijab. And now also I'm just like, oh, maybe this is like the opportunity where I can actually like go on this journey and, and show myself what it looks like for this to be something personal. Like this, like we talk about so much how like, like this, the choice to cover or not to cover is so personal, but like, what does that look like in practice? And so maybe this is like the radical thing to do is like to actually not feel like I have to explain every step of the way. And I can have these intimate conversations with a close friend of mine. And this can be like the extent of like what I feel like I want to share until I feel ready to do so further when it is time. But like, I know that the last several months have been extremely challenging on like just my spirit and my insides with all of this. But I also like sometimes in the moments of like like this, I I know that I will look back at this fondly and I know I'll be like grateful for this because this has just been, this has all made me feel stronger. And like, I have to like, even as we're having these conversations and as things are being said between us, I like keep thinking, I, like there's like a buzzing almost in my head of like, oh my gosh, like is somebody gonna like cut this, like, take this out of context, do whatever, blah, 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 all this stuff and say this. And I'm just like, no, you know what? Like, the entire story is right here. If you choose to listen to the whole thing, if you choose to like give yourself the full context of the conversation. And after you listen to the conversation, if you realize that even in this, it's just a tiny little like snippet of a bigger, larger journey. And and the, 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 the reason we're sharing this isn't so that you can go and like, so that a listener can go and like scrutinize and pick it apart. It's so that like, maybe it made you uncomfortable. Maybe it inspired some questions in you. Maybe, 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 maybe. But 
it's because like I really do believe that like telling the truth on yourself is a form of service. And if we can continue to be open and we can continue to show people what it looks like to ask these questions out loud and to give ourselves and each other grace to uh, show up as exactly who you are, then like maybe people will be able to honor themselves in that way because those same people who are saying whatever they're saying to us, like my mom taught me this a long time ago about like reframing that. And that's why I was like, she's in my comments, like quote, killing people with kindness. But um, it's like, it's people, when somebody, any judgment, any judgment you make on another person is a judgment on yourself. And it really is a reflection of like how you feel about yourself. And so um, I think, yeah, I think I am so in the thick of it all. And I'm so grateful to have had this conversation with you. And I'm grateful for you cutting me off the way that you did because I, I needed that. I didn't mean to. No, but I but love I, you. No, I love you. And I, I really do. I do appreciate it. You know what my therapist says, Nora? Tell me. She says that you don't, like, I mean, I'm sure you heard this, but like, you don't grow when you're comfortable. Like, you really grow um, in your relationships with people and yourself when you have like a disruption in your relationship. So like you're going through like a growth moment and you're actually like growing in your relationship with yourself, which is like gorgeous and fun and exciting. And it is like, it's how we started the podcast. Like your watch adventure, <laughs> Adventures of Nora and your I was spirit. Literally and I love that thinking, for you. I was like, do I keep that story in this episode? Is that like, are we coming back to that watch story? Or It's do cute we? and I love it. Uh, and I love you and thanks for having me. Thank you so much. We end our conversations with, um, you can fill in the blank with one, two, or three statements, but it's, if you really knew me, you would know. Uh, that figure skating and gymnastics are the best sports. <laughs> we, we know that. Yeah. That's the first. Yeah. That. Okay. Tell me another one. Cause I knew that. Oh, I, oh okay. Uh, if you really knew me, if you really knew me, you would know, um, that, Binaries are bad. <laughs> the binaries are not, or the, which is a binary to itself. Um, the binaries are to be scrutinized. Mm. If you really knew me, the binaries are to be scrutinized. And if you really knew me, you would know that off-year election cycles are often the most important years for us to make inroads uh, with people, which is actually the hardest time because there's so much like icky legislation right yeah. now. So this is actually the time to like pedal your bike towards a solution. Mm-hmm. Those weren't really about you, but they are about what you stand for and your message. And um, I really love that. I love if you really knew me, you'd, if you really knew Jonathan, you would also know that Jonathan is in his gardening era. Yeah, I'm in my gardening era. And uh, I don't know. Uh, when you've written a book about your survival of sex abuse, work <laughs> like being a sex worker, being HIV positive, uh, <laughs> it's like hard to like do a surprising. <laughs> I've been such an open book. I want to know what your favorite part of gardening has been because you, I saw pumpkins. You mentioned I love pumpkins. <laughs> it's my favorite. You've been growing pumpkins. Yeah, I love it. Really, not this season yet, obviously, but the last three years, and like I really love pumpkins. Jonathan Van Ness, y'all, a gardener, a writer, pumpkin storyteller, mother. a pumpkin mother, a cat mother, cat a mom. dog mother now, and uh, a hairstylist sometimes, and a hot slut. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. I love you too. Podcast Nord is an AYS production. Producers include myself, Adam Khafif, and Sara Risa. Editing, mixing, and mastering by Bahid Fraser. Theme music by Portugal the Man. The song is called Thunderdome, Welcome to America, featuring Black Thought. Check it out wherever you stream your music. Extra gratitude and thanks to our storyteller, Jonathan Van Ness. Make sure you check out their podcast, Getting Curious, and catch them on Netflix's Queer Eye. Jonathan is also on tour, so if you loved this conversation, make sure you check out their tour dates and maybe they'll come to a city near you. As always, at your service.